The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode are that of the guest and host and do not necessarily reflect the values of sponsors or other associated organizations. Welcome to the Parental Compass presented by Family Education and Support Services. I am your host, Bobby Williams. If you like the content you're hearing, please subscribe to us. Any platform, just hit that subscribe button and we'll notify you each week when we drop a new episode. Some children are just spirited. They really feel their emotions. They're sensitive, they're aware. They're taking it all in, and that's a good thing. But it can also be a really difficult thing to navigate. How can we help these children get through life without losing their spirit? We have a very special guest today, Dr. Mary Karsinka. Dr. Mary is a licensed family educator and the author of Raising Your Spirited Child. Dr. Mary is also the keynote speaker at the Strengthening Families Conference on September 24th. It's a virtual conference and you can still get some tickets. Just go to strengtheningfamiliesconference.org. This is for families, professionals that work with families. Everyone's invited. So September 24th, strengtheningfamiliesconference.org. You're going to want to be there. All right, let's get into it. Dr. Mary. Well, there actually is a genetic element to how sensitive a child and and quite frankly adults are as well and some people by their very nature are highly sensitive and perceptive that they see and hear and feel and sense things that to a degree that others do not um, and i think in, in many ways this is a gift because they're very aware of sensory levels around them. But the flip side of that is in our modern world and crowds and stores and restaurants and busy places, especially children can become overwhelmed. And when that happens, they may run away, they may shut down, they may, um, they may fall apart. And the reason is because they're overstimulated. And so it's important to teach them that you are sensitive to noise and we give them the words to say it's noisy and we teach them what to do to say I need a break please take me out um, and and so instead of having tantrums we have a child who can who can tell us what they're experiencing and knows what to do yeah teach them to be better communicators are, are there ways to tell when a kid is ramping up or like warning signs to look for, anything that can help with that? Absolutely. So within all of us is an arousal system. And that system regulates our heart rate, our pulse rate, our breathing to match what's needed for that particular moment. And in, in my book, Raising Your Spirited Child, I 
uh, clarify three different levels of arousal. So in the green zone, that's when kids are calm. They're focused, they'll look at you, they respond, they can transition. There's just this sense of calm energy. And then, you know, children might be playing and they're doing fine. And then all of a sudden you notice they, they start to lose focus. They, um, their voice might get a little louder. They might have a little difficulty listening or they start flitting from one thing to another. This is the yellow zone. And in the yellow zone, they're having difficulty um, managing that arousal system, but they haven't lost it yet. And if you learn to respond the first time you hear the kids' voices getting a little bit louder or the tone becoming a little more irritable, if you step in at that point, they can still hear you, they can work with you. If you wait until they're screaming, they're crying, they're arching, they're um, throwing things, that's the red zone and they're gone. And their brain is literally said, you know, be ready to fight or flee. And at that point, they can't hear you anymore. They can't look at you because they literally are in this state of be ready to fight or flee. So what do you do? Like you see your child getting in yellow zone and amping up. What, what, how do you step in and get them back to green? So a really important thing, as I said, first of all, is to step in the moment you hear the first uh, voice getting louder. Don't wait until the third time or the fourth time. Um, and as you approach, if you say to them, I will help you. So your coming toward them is seen as someone helping versus a threat of, oh, now I'm in trouble, which just raises their um, arousal system more. And so it's, it's just that initial, I will help you. Um, and then I think the next thing is it, it's important to do is to seek understanding what's up. What are they feeling or needing? Because we have to understand that in order to solve the problem. So it's, you know, what's up? What, what, you know, what do you need? Did you wanna turn? I think you had something important to tell your brother. What are you trying to tell him? Um, and we seek that understanding. I think it's important because people are like, well, aren't you reinforcing negative behavior is the listening does not mean you agree, nor does it mean you're gonna give the kids what they wanted or they're asking for. You're trying to understand. Mm -hmm. And once you do, then you can work with them to say, well, you know, we're problem solvers. Let's come up with a way that, to make this work for everybody. Yeah. Well, say you've missed your chance, like you've been on a airplane and you're picking up your bags the, the child is just super frustrated from this whole process and they're on full on flipping out mode. And there's no, you know, you're around a loud airport, you gotta get to point B to get where you're going. What can you do then? That seems like a tough one. It is a tough one. Um, at that point, you know, it's damage control. Um, they're gone, 
they're in this complete state of, they've been emotionally hijacked, they're gone. And so if you can, you get them to a quieter space. Um, the bottom line is you keep them safe, you keep people and things around them safe and, and do what it takes to calm them down. For some children, you might, and depending on ages, you might be able to just hold them um, and, and comfort them with a hug. Other kids, that would be too stimulating. And so it's just like, let's get you to a quiet place. I'm here, I'm near, but I'm not touching you and I'm not talking to you. Um, and so I'm not adding any stimulation because they're already overwhelmed. And for me, it's knowing this is not a teachable moment. He can't mm -hmm. hear me. He can't, he can't problem solve with me. And so my first job is simply to calm him. And then later, and again, depending on the age of the child, it could be a few minutes, older kids, it could be a week later. Hmm. Um, hopefully it's sooner than that. Then we can go back for the redo to help them understand what happened, clarify, we don't want that to happen again, and then teach words and actions that would be more appropriate in the future. So, you know, I think what happened is it was too noisy and you were hungry. You know, next time, let's make a plan. You can say, I need something to eat. Or you can say, I need, I need, um, it's too noisy. And we can bring headphones and we can bring snacks with us so that in the future, there isn't a meltdown in, at, at luggage in the airport. Yeah, I like that idea of processing with them afterwards when they can understand. Because you're right, when a kid is hiding, they're just in sort of animal brain or something. They're just not even processing what's happening. It literally is an emotional hijacking. And we know, I mean, it affects your vision, it affects your hearing, and, and you cannot hear and process your your brain is looking for the danger the you know we've gone completely into a survival mode yeah are, are there other ways to teach kids to better understand their emotions or be a little more enlightened in everyday situations in order to manage emotions we have to be able to name them and so we want to be identifying emotions in our day that we, you know, the emotions we experience. And I think an important thing to remember is anger is a second emotion. Before mm -hmm. anger, there's always fear, frustration, embarrassment. There's another emotion before that. And so we want to teach children, you know, I, it, you've been having fun with your brother, but I think now you're starting, he's starting to irritate you or, you know, you've been having fun with these Legos, but now it looks, you know, it sounds like you're starting to get frustrated and we, we use those words and people are like, well, aren't you just feeding them ideas? But I just this week had a parent tell me that her not yet three-year-old was at childcare and they were doing emotion cards as, a, as an activity. And the teacher gave this not yet three-year-old um, um, frustration. 
And she and the little girl turned to the teacher and said, I feel frustrated every morning when I don't get to see my good friend, Heidi. Well, and to have that language that goes beyond just good, bad or something, I'm frustrated. That's a concrete feeling. What right. And I think of, you know, words like jealous. And mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I will do when I'm working with kids. I'll say, can you give me an example of um, you know, when you felt jealous or irritated or frustrated, because again, those are all emotions that build up to anger. And if they can catch it at irritation, frustration, I'm starting to feel jealous. It's so much more manageable. What about teenagers then on the other side of this? Can these, how would these ideas apply to them? We build relationships by listening. Um, and working with them. So again, and, and the more, you know, with toddlers, toddlers are learning, what are the rules? And we have to be really consistent so they, they can identify this always happens when I mm -hmm. do this. <laughs> but with teens, we need to be listening for understanding and problem solving and teaching them to think through. So, I, you know, I, your teen comes to you and they say, I want to go to an R-rated movie with my friends. And, you know, maybe this is a 14-year-old and you're like, I don't want you going to an R-rated movie with your friends. Plus, you're, you, you're not even supposed to be able to get into it. Um, and But instead of immediately saying no, you say, tell me more. What about going to this movie with your friends is important to you? And maybe it's just hanging out. And so going to the movies is just one way of, of, you know, of hanging out with your friends. And we could come up with other ways they could be with their friends, but not go to a movie that's inappropriate for them. And sometimes also, if you've got that relationship, if you really look in their eyes, you realize they want you to say no. They don't want to go to that party. They don't want to go to that movie or whatever it might be. And so they actually, you know, kind of with a twinkle in your eye, you look at them and say, do you need me to say no? And, and they, they don't want to admit it, but yeah. you just look at them and you know, and you say, you tell your friends, you're going to be grounded for the rest of your life if you go to that party. And so you allow yourself to become the bad guy and the excuse for that team to say, I'm going to get, you know, I'm just, it's, it, I'm going to be grounded forever. I, I can't go. And it's not because I'm too young or I'm not mature enough. It's because my mom's really mean. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you take the fall for them sometimes. It, it's interesting just hearing you talk about that. Cause in one way, boundaries seem restricting, but then on the other side of that, it's like boundaries can kind of provide safety too, or it can be comforting to know where boundaries are. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, one of the things with, as you say, boundaries or consequences, if we go back to that toddler, and it's important to know with a toddler, everything in their brain is saying, do it, try it, find out what's going to happen. because they don't know, you know, you throw a ball, but you don't throw a truck. That's, that's learned uh -huh. behavior. 
Um, and so, you know, a key with a toddler is if you need to stop them, you don't direct a toddler from across the room because words alone will never stop them. You have to, as you say, stop, you go to them. And if they can't stop themselves, you help them stop. So they learn that if mom or dad, you know, grandma, grandpa, my caregivers say no or stop, and I like stop better than no, <laughs> um, is they help me stop. And so now the child begins to predict that and listens when you, you say stop because you've helped them stop. If there was one thing, one singular idea that you think would help children's behavior improve, what would it be if you could just impart one piece of wisdom to parents? Protect their sleep. Hmm. Um, know how much sleep your child needs. I mean, preschoolers need an average of 12 hours of sleep. If a preschooler wakes at six and does not nap, they need lights out at 6 p.m. And if you're finding, if you have to wake your children, if you're dragging them out of bed in the morning, that is a red flag. They are not getting enough sleep. Move their bedtime earlier until they're waking at that time. Because um, the reality is it's during sleep that learning goes into long-term memory. It's during sleep that we receive the hormones that tell us that we're satiated. Um, it is during sleep that emotions are kind of soothed and calmed. And we know that it's a preventive factor for um, anxiety and depression. And, you know, people will say, well, you know, what difference? It, like an adult needs about eight hours. And, you know, these are averages. We, obviously, each of us is an individual, but we say, hey, you know, what difference does it make if I only get six hours of sleep? I'm, I'm still getting, you know, 80% of what I need. But what you don't know is in those last two hours, that's when the majority of our REM sleep is, our deep our REM sleep, that where all of this work happens and this nurturing and caring of our body. And so if you, if you short sleep, you literally can be losing 50 to 60% of your REM sleep because you missed those last two hours of sleep you needed. Um, and so for adolescents, for children, if you are having frequent meltdowns, the first thing I'm going to work with you on is bumping up their sleep. Mm. Yeah, we did a whole episode on sleep and it was just such a fascinating topic. Well, do you have any closing words or little pieces of wisdom you want to share with our audience before you go today? I think the most important thing is that if you and your children are struggling, is to know there is information that can make it better, whether it's in books like Raising Your Spirited Child or Raising Your Spirited Baby and Kids, Parents, and Power Struggles. It's, it's the classes in, in, uh, that are available in your community. It's conferences. It's, you know, the bottom line is there is quality information that can make it better. You don't have to be experiencing meltdowns and power struggles one after the other all day long. Mm, you're never alone out there. 
Thank you, Dr. Mary. Again, you can hear Dr. Mary as the keynote speaker at the Strengthening Families Conference on September 24th. Just go to strengtheningfamiliesconference.org. It's a virtual conference. You're going to want to be there. This has been the Parental Compass presented by Family Education and Support Services. I am Bobby Williams. We'll see you next week. Peace.